Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Well, good morning, America. This is Gun Owners News Hour. The beloved ATF has followed through on their plan to turn millions of us into felons in the name of public safety by reclassifying pistols with stabilizing braces as short-barreled rifles, effectively expanding the unconstitutional National Gun Registry. Now, stabilizing braces are devices that can be attached to pistols that aid the user in balancing their arm. Originally created to help people with disabilities, the accessory is... Now more popular amongst mainstream shooters who use them to adapt pistols into guns that that can be shot from the shoulder, which has been legal to do in the past. Now there's a big hoop to jump through if you don't want to be hit with fines and or jail time. Now as the DOJ first proposed and has, well they first proposed it back in uh, 2021 and uh, Those who wish to add stabilizers to their pistols must comply with the heightened regulations on those dangerous and easily concealable firearms. Well, uh, I don't know if you've seen one of those things. They're not that easily concealed. There's no holster made that works with those things. Under the new rules, any pistol modified with such a brace is now considered to be a short-barreled rifle. And as the DOJ explained themselves, the NFA has since the 1930s Impose requirements on short-barreled rifles because they're more easily concealable than long-barreled rifles, but have more destructive power than traditional handguns. Beyond background checks and serial numbers, those heightened requirements include taxation and registration requirements that include background checks for all transfers, including private transfers. The tax required for anyone making or buying a short-barreled rifle is $200. The Biden administration... Well, they've been quite generous with this. They've, they've decided to give us a 120-day period to comply by registering the firearm, removing the brace, giving the gun to the ATF, or just destroying it, which, you know, the, those last two are high on my list of priorities. Attorney General Merrick Garland directed the ATF to address the issue of stabilizing braces within 60 days at an April, uh, let's see, at an April 2021 event with President Joe Biden, prompting the swift action taken by the DOJ in announcing the proposed rule the next month. Biden had also previously selected former Obama advisor Stephen Dettelbach to serve as the head of the ATF, who helped the administration reach their goal of passing yet another gun control law. While they claim the new rule won't impact stabilizing braces that are objectively designed and intended as a stabilizing brace, 
for use with by individuals with disabilities and not for shouldering the weapon as a rifle, there is no objective standard listed for what disabled people are allowed to carry or what is intended as an aid. Now, this this history of tyrannical or excuse me, the history of tyrannical politicians attempting to force every gun owner to register their weapons with the government is long. In 1934, Franklin Delano Roosevelt considered implementing a ban on fully automatic firearms, but it was forced with you know, was faced with pushback from the DOJ, which argued it would violate the Second Amendment, which was true then and it's true now. To compromise, they instead pushed for legislation to require the registration of fully automatic firearms, short-barreled rifles, and short-barreled shotguns and firearms sound suppressors. The idea became law in the form of the National Firearms Act of 1934, which is what the current-day DOJ and ATF have used to justify their expansion of the National Gun Registry for law-abiding citizens. Roosevelt was set on creating a National Firearms Registry for every gun, demonstrated by his appointment of Homer Cummings to the position of Attorney General, who helped draft the NFA. And Cummings wrote in 1938, show me the man who doesn't want his gun registered and I will show you a man who shouldn't have a gun. (laughs) Fast forward by approximately 50 years and then President Ronald Reagan signs the Firearm Owners Protection Act, which federally prohibits national gun registries. Though Reagan faltered on the Second Amendment at times like the Mulford Act, that was a good policy that was unfortunately ignored by anti-gun politicians. Uh... Experts have been warning about the dystopian consequences of criminalizing stabilizing braces, which are used by disabled and able-bodied individuals alike to increase balance and accuracy. Dr. John Lott weighed in on this. Uh, He wrote for Real Clear Politics. Few seem to realize that stabilizing braces for pistols were originally designed to allow wounded and disabled veterans who may have lost the use of part of their hand or hold handguns. They are essentially a strap attached to the gun. Disabled individuals are often viewed as easy targets by criminals, and stabilizers make it easier to defend themselves. And he cites Rick Cicero, a disabled veteran who lost his right arm and leg in an explosion while serving in Afghanistan 13 years ago. Cicero told Spectrum News uh, 9 after the DOJ imposed the rule in 2021, if they take this away, they're violating their own law because this is designed and employed for people like me. Cicero who teaches fellow uh, injured veterans on how to shoot again, added that the most important thing to me about this brace, this whole aspect, is another avenue of getting injured veterans out of the house, which is paramount. According to Dr. Lott, the two instances that Biden cited to garner support for the new ATF policy weren't even valid examples of braces being used to better commit a crime. All of this started after President Biden cited a crime in 2021 in Colorado where a shooter used a pistol stabilizing brace when attacking shoppers in a grocery store to justify calling for classifying such brace-affixed pistols as machine guns. Ahmed Al-Alwi murdered 10 people at close range in a Boulder, Colorado grocery store. Previous shooting in 2019 by Connor Betts in Dayton, Ohio, also involved a pistol brace. These are the only two cases of their kind, and more importantly, neither of them had any difficulty holding their guns, and all their shots were fired at a short distance. There's no evidence that the brace made any difference in their ability to carry out the attacks. And there's been no surge in crime by the disabled or others using these braces. This all stems back to the inherent right that Americans have to self-protection through gun ownership. 
Brett Cooper wrote at the time of the rule proposal, James Madison condemned a governmental structure in which overarching entities could rewrite the laws they see fit. In Federalist Number 48, the Founding Father warned that the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands, whether of one, a few, or many, and whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. This is exactly what is happening today. The stealth power grab should concern all of us because this doesn't only have to be about guns. <laughs> and uh, so even, you know, when you think about uh, what, what if they decided to seize all gasoline-powered cars? What if they decided to, decide, to, to, to uh, codify that everybody had to drive an electric car? And all gas cars were now grandfathered. And then at some time later on in the, in, in the future, when that doesn't work because it's not going to work, then they decide that they all have to be uh, registered, and then they decide they all have to be given up. That's how that kind of thing starts. This, this is how it starts. It starts this way. And, uh, well... I don't know. We're gonna see. We're still uh, we're still in the in the hunt with this. We got about I don't know forty fifty some odd days left before the drop dead date. We'll see what happens. Right now they're being torn apart in Congress. The House is very upset with this. They need to go ahead and defund the ATF, and they need to defund or at least hold hostage to funding the FBI and all of these other little alphabet agencies that think that they're in charge. Because that's what it boils down to. They think they are in charge. If that makes me radical, I guess I am a radical. <laughs> I guess I am a radical. So, you know, I just thought we would look at that for what it is. This this goes back a long way. They've, they've, this is not a new thing. They've always wanted to... To be in charge of you and to be in charge of your self-defense and your ability to re- to repel tyranny. If you didn't know that already. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices so join the revolution subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring listen on your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast you'll be glad you did Welcome back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Florida's quest for full-blown constitutional carry has garnered the attention of the nation's pro-gun movement and drawn the ire of the gun ban industry. 25 states have already passed this, so Florida would then become the majority state, which terrifies those opposed to civil rights. Right now, um, there's two bills that are rocketing through the state legislature in Tallahassee, HB 543 and SB 150. And Governor Ron DeSantis has promised to sign whatever the Republican supermajority in the legislature can get to his desk. Now, neither bill allows for the open carry of arms. Now, in my state, we don't have the open carry of arms. We don't have permitless carry either. But the only way to carry open in South Carolina is to have a concealed carry permit. I I still haven't figured that one out yet. Therefore, and the reason... The reason that is the case, the reason South Carolina went with that was because the people that wanted to have open carry said, let's get open carry in some way, shape, or form, and then we'll come back and we'll get permitless carry. And this is incrementalism. This is how we got to the gun control regime we have now, incrementally. And the way we come back is probably going to be, quite honestly with you, incrementally. Now, most... Floridians refer to the bills as unlicensed concealed carry, which is what it is. Yes, that's that's what it is. And to be clear, every pro-gun group in the state, NRA, GOA, NAGR, and Florida Carry, Inc., all support the legislation because it is the largest restoration of gun rights since 1987 in the state. And all of them also wish it included open carry. But they understand the process. That's important. Uh, Florida State Representative Mike Beltran, a Republican who represents part of Hills, parts of Hillsborough and Manatee counties, tried to fix this by adding an open carry amendment. He's a target shooter and a Second Amendment supporter, and his amendment could have caused a multitude of problems. In fact, it could have brought down everything. Not known exactly where he got the language for this. We're, you know but it would have required open carriers to use a level two or greater retention device holster, which is a gigantic affair. This would have made Florida the only state in the country where the government tells gun owners what type of holster they must use, and the penalty for using the wrong holster would have been a felony. Now, police, and listen, it's not a bad idea, right? It's not a bad idea. If you're going to carry in the open, it is not a bad idea to have a retention holster of some kind. But... It's not a requirement. Police use retention holsters, but that's because a lot of police have been killed by people using their own gun. 
So it is in their interest. It's actually in your interest, too, to retain your holster, to codify it and make it a law to where there's a penalty. If you don't, that's another story altogether. Now we're trying to legislate common sense. Imagine getting stopped by police and charged with a felony because your holster doesn't comply with state law. And even worse, the amendment did not define what a level two uh, retention device holster was. There were others with this as well, other uh, problems with it. It would have made it illegal, another felony, to carry a stun gun without a Florida concealed weapon or Florida license or CWFL. But the biggest concern was what would have happened in the state Senate. Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo does not support open carry. She doesn't really support permitless carry, to be honest with you, but she said she does not support open carry because the Florida Sheriff's Association does not support open carry. I will support what the sheriffs of this state who are the experts support. I don't know one end of a gun from another, so I certainly want to support the experts. The reality is this bill basically says you do not need the government's permission to carry your weapon. That, in my mind, is constitutional carry. If the bill made it to the state Senate with Beltran's open carry amendment intact, Pasadomo would have to made sure that it died a quick death. So... The amendment was withdrawn this past Wednesday. Nearly every state that has pushed or, or excuse me, passed constitutional carry has experienced some pushback from firearm trainers who are worried that an end to the state mandated training will hurt them financially. And unfortunately, Florida is not immune from this short sighted attitude. Scott Grant is a retired Pasco County Sheriff's Deputy Sheriff, excuse me, and owner of Tactical Decisions and Training. And for more than a decade, he's taught a concealed weapons course that satisfies the state training requirement. He appeared on a local ABC television news affiliate to express his concerns about the current legislation. And uh, he said, to be able to drive, we test you on that before we give you a license. To get married, you need a license. To get divorced, if you have a child, you need you have to take a class. To operate a boat, Firearms are more dangerous than any of these. Uh, Lee Williams interviewed him. Lee Williams, the investigative reporter for the Second Amendment Foundation, interviewed him and asked him why he believed his bank account was more important than our civil rights. And he said, it doesn't have anything to do with my bank account, adding that he trained people for free. And he clarified this by explaining he did not charge veterans, law enforcement, or domestic violence victims. However, Students seeking the permit pay for their training. Grant said other trainers have appeared on TV to express their concerns with the unlicensed concealed carry bill. He added that he is a firearm safety expert and then ended the interview. (laughs) He said, I don't think we're going to continue this conversation. It doesn't seem like it will be pleasant for me. I believe everyone should be armed with training, whether they get it from me or someone else. That's what not that, that's not that's not what permitless carries about. Ever. It's never been about that. When we were fighting the Revolutionary War, when everybody was showing up to fight on General Washington in General Washington's Continental Army, he was not out there getting out there going, Who are you guys are trained? They did try to teach them drill and fire and maneuver and everything that was the, the norm of the time. And they did do that, but it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was just, uh, it, it was not one of those things where they were like, hey, you guys know how to shoot these guns. Now, this guy, first of all, I don't see permits going away ever. 
because permits are really the only permits are like passports. Permits are like passports. If you have a permit, when you go into another state that has reciprocity with you, that means that they recognize your right to carry a gun, which is paramount. Absolutely paramount. That in and of itself is worth the permit. In South Carolina, a permit also means that you don't have to go through a background check, which is also really, really good. Really, really good. So all these things that you hear brought up by these guys, these so-called gun safety experts, I'm not, I know nothing about this guy and how good of a trainer he may or may not be, but his head is not in the right place. His head is not in the right place. Uh, all those things he mentioned, the driving and the marriage and married. And we, t- we test you on that before we give you a license. There you go. That's all you need to know about that guy. He believes that the right to carry a gun is something that is given to you by government. Enough said. I'm glad Lee didn't push it. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. This is Gun Owners News Hour, and uh, recently, uh, this past week, we had something come out out of Uvalde. As they try to mitigate what you think about the police in Uvalde, it seems that the Uvalde police who responded to the Robb Elementary School shooting told investigators they were scared of the shooter's military-style rifle. Our police are outgunned on Twitter. We saw from the Newtown Action Alliance, he has a battle rifle, and that is attributed to the Uvalde police. If it were not for that unfortunate part of the video where we have like, you know, 100 or so, uh, you know, battle-clad police officers with ballistic shields and AR-15s themselves and plate carriers and, and, and ballistic helmets and eye shields and all those other things. If it were not for that, uh, he had an AR-15 as well. So they were not outgunned. As a matter of fact, they had him outgunned about 401. All right. But they're telling investigators that they were scared of the mil- shooter's military-style rifle. Our police are outgunned. So, of course, because that was the fact... The anti-gunners think that you should give up your legally owned uh, personal defense weapon. As if they were reacting to an invisible clarion call from the ghost of FDR himself, Democrats and gun control zealots from Dianne Feinstein to Martina Navratilova rushed to social media to make their case that as the Uvalde shooting clearly showed, a criminal with an AR-15 is such a menace to police, police having concluded that, as Zach Despart reports on the Texas Tribune, to take on such a killer would prove fruitless, so the best course of action was to simply clear the building 
and wait for him to stop slaughtering helpless children and teachers and that the obvious answer is to ban AR-15s, a semi-automatic rifle platform that is Despart rights is less powerful than many rifles, such as those used to hunt deer or other large game, but has significantly more power than handguns, firing a bullet that has nearly three times the energy of the larger round common in police pistols. And one of the officers involved described the shooter's weapon as a battle rifle, which typically what you would find, James Jager referred to a battle rifle as a 308 or bigger, a 30 caliber or bigger. That was a battle rifle. That's because a battle rifle can kill you with one round. A hit from a battle rifle is lethal. Um, the AR, the 556, it was a uh, assault rifle. The, the M16 was an assault rifle because it was more meant about wounding. Because it was a force multiplier if you shoot somebody with it because it takes seven people out of the fight because if you only wound them, it takes more people to deal with a wounded person than with a dead person. Now, as Despart tells us in his piece, an investigative committee on the Rob Elementary shooting report released in July of 2022, while comprehensive and scathing, made no mention of the comments by law enforcement officers in, in interviews that illustrated trepidation about the AR-15. And he was showing a generosity to the officers. I'm not certain he might elsewhere. Let's this singing omission over officer trepidation at the prospect of having to face a weapon of war linger over his uh, story like, a, I don't know, somebody breaking wind. Why weren't we told by the Texas House Investigative Committee Chaired by Republican Rep. Representative Dustin ba- uh, Burroughs, the implication is that the real issue police had was with the shooter's rifle. And I can answer that, and that's because it's nonsense. This was a case of cowardice and calculation and self-preservation and nothing more. And because of that, it is abundantly clear that self-protection is the best, most reliable form of protection and that our founders and framers in their wisdom and having come out of an armed revolution with a new country founded from their particular insurrection knew that the right of self-protection was not only a natural right they sought to forever protect, but one that was essential for a free people to remain free. Every officer that responded this particular day had access to a semi-automatic weapon. Many even had AR-15s. So the obvious question is, why should law enforcement, but no one else, be given access to semi-automatic rifles? If not to stop a shooter, they had vastly outnumbered and outgunned. Well, the bottom line is this. They didn't act because those children meant less to them than their own lives. And that is precisely why it is a potentially lethal mistake to outsource your own safety and that of your family solely to civil servants who have nothing more than an oath they may or may not uphold at the moment of truth to incentivize them to act on your behalf. Now, I tell people that in my house, we are each our own militia. What the Uvalde police, along with the Democrats and their gun control advocates, quick to you know, quick to latch on this latest anti-gun narrative, they've proven so magnificently here is that it takes good guys with guns to prevent bad guys with guns from running amok in a country awash in guns, most of them held legally by people who commit almost none of the gun crime. Now, a badge, a duty weapon, 
and the ability to write parking citations or bully kids for loitering in front of a gas station quick stop does not make a good guy with a gun necessary. You know, that's not what we're getting out of this. The audacity of the Uvalde police trying to justify their own measured calculus by laying the blame on a single weapon they know to represent a cultural flashpoint and wielded by a single untrained teenager. And for the left to use that cowardice as a result to take, you know, as a reason to take away weapons from you, from people who would have been more than willing to rush into that building to be those good guys with guns, is as abhorrent as it is cynical. Now, and, 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 you know, here's the thing about this, okay? Um, I know a few people that would have gone in there with handguns only. I know a few people that would have gone in there with handguns and soft body armor. I know, you know, parents would have gone in there. As a matter of fact, one parent did. One parent was the one that ended up getting in there and dealing with him. So... I, I, I can't stand, I don't know if this is about them lying about this because that can't possibly be the truth or it's because it is the truth because they're cowards. I don't know what it is in here that I am missing in this little mathematical problem. But one thing I do know, one thing I do know, and this is the thing I keep coming back to. This is the back-breaking conclusion that we can come to simply because of the evidence present. When you got that many cops kitted up the way that we had that many cops loitering in an area and not going in there, not breaching, and not taking on the issue. And, you know, their first thing was, well, he's got a gun and he'll kill people. Well, he killed people anyway. Not going in there does not stop him from killing people. Not going in there just allows him to kill people unmolested. Um, the bottom line here is that their own self-preservation meant more to them than saving the lives of those kids. And to each and every one of them that was in that hallway, I hope all of you quit. I hope all of you resign. Go find another line of work. If you don't have the stomach... And, you know, I'm sure there's there was probably a few there that were ready to go and they were just waiting on leadership to give them the green light and all that other stuff. At some point, you got to seize the initiative, though, and especially in a rampage shooting with a with a shooter in there locked into a room with a bunch of nothing but. But victims. At some point, you got to go in there and you have to take that initiative. And if they're not going to do it, then they need to get into a whole nother line of business. Sincerely, I submit that to anybody listening that's in law enforcement today. If you're not going to, if that's not part of what you want to do, uh, I get it. But, you know, find something else to do because that's not the job. The job calls for a little more than that. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour.
one more time, shall we? This is Gun Owners News Hour, and uh, I, I'm sorry, forgive me, but I'm, I'm so frosted over this Uvalde thing that I have to give it a little more attention. Here's what you have to understand about the law enforcement profession. It is dangerous. <laughs> if it wasn't, they wouldn't issue handguns and spare mags and tasers and pepper spray and batons and shotguns and AR-15s and body armor. They wouldn't spend millions of taxpayer dollars to make sure that the officers there know how to use deadly force with some modicum of proficiency. If it wasn't dangerous, none of that stuff would happen. So if you can't accept the danger, do not apply. Because from the moment that you pin on that badge, now comes implied consent. It means that you are consenting to risk your life to protect the lives of others, regardless of how the courts have ruled. Sadly, as we've seen recently, both with Parkland and Uvalde, that is not the case. Now, Parkland, which was one guy, versus Uvalde, which was 400 guys, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost ludicrous to compare them, but it's the same thing. Same thing. Same, same. Everybody waiting. Now, in Uvalde, they took it to, the, to, the, to the, a level of absurdity that I didn't know existed. You had 400 law enforcement officers from multiple departments outside of the classroom in Robb Elementary in Uvalde. For, they waited 77 minutes. Inside the room, a active shooter killed 19 children and two teachers. They allowed an 18-year-old madman to kill 21 people while they waited in a hallway outside the classroom, milling around, talking on their radios, and checking out their mobile phones. And like I said, they were afraid because the guy had an AR. So instead of blaming themselves, which that's where the blame lies, uh, they're blaming a gun, even though police had hundreds of ARs on the scene. Uvalde Police Sergeant Donald Page told investigators after the shooting, you knew that it was definitely an AR. There was no way of going in. We had no choice but to wait and try to get something that had better coverage where we could actually stand up to him. Like what? Were you bringing up a saw? Were you bringing up an M2? What were you bringing up? Sergeant Page was not alone in his excuse making. We weren't equipped to make entry into that room without several casualties, Uvalde Police Department Detective Lewis reported, adding, once we found out it was a rifle he was using, it was a different game plan we would have had to have come up with. It wasn't just going in guns blazing the Old West style and take him out. Well, that's exactly how you clear a room. You go in and, uh, yeah, you probably see the videos of these guys training to clear a room. But if there's actually people there that they have to shoot, they actually pull the trigger as they're going in. So they go in, as you would say, gun blazing. So, so much for the simple but effective run to the gun active shooter responses, supposedly ingrained in every police officer in the country. Uvalde police reverted to the chill out and wait for SWAT response that ended with the Columbine massacre. And now they want you to believe that a rifle, one single rifle in a room full of 401 rifles in a building full of 401 rifles rather is the reason that they failed to act now when the full scope of what happened in uvalte was learned 
The country's entire law enforcement community let out a collective groan of horror and disbelief once it was learned what happened, or more accurately, what didn't happen. And there were a few officers who tried like hell to get into the classroom and shoot the bad guy, but they were waved off and held back by the feeble-minded punks who were running the show and are still trying to justify the craven abdication of their sworn duty by blaming an inanimate object. They actually responded fairly quickly to this event. They got there really fast. I mean, comparatively speaking. And uh, they had one job. They needed to make entry immediately and engage the shooter regardless of how he was armed. He was killing children, right? Each second could cost a precious life, and they gave him 77 minutes. Now, you notice that we've never seen pictures of the Uvalde kids, and we've never seen pictures of the Newtown kids, and we've never seen pictures of the Parkland kids, because it is horrific to see children gunned down. I don't want to see the pictures at all. Never want to see them. That would be a scar that every time I looked at that, that would be my grandchildren. Not happening. Not going to look. For that reason, I cannot forgive this. And I cannot accept this excuse. Now, the gun ban industry was already using Uvalde as a talking point, uh, given their war on our gun rights. And now that this is coming out, I'm sure it will get louder. But, I mean, they, they always do that. So that part of it didn't really bother me. Their, their part in it, I sort of expect. You know, sadly, uh, they're so bent on, uh, you know, being totalitarians that, they're always going to be coming for it, and that just, you know, that's not a new thing. But to have law enforcement get out there and say, we were afraid to go in because he had a big gun, well, I don't know. So nowadays, rather than investing in armored fighting vehicles and weapons that rival those of a Tier 1 JSOC unit, maybe they should invest in better quality personnel, which is going to be a tough road to hoe because of the way we have vilified police. Not we, not me, not you, but America, right? America has. Because everybody believes mass media, right? So everybody believes that police are bad. In this microscopic case here, which was an enormously, you know, it had it had consequence to it. Um, we, sh- we, we see the unseedy side of humanity where an adult puts their life above that of a child. It's been nearly a year since this event, and those responsible are still making excuses. But now, by blaming a gun rather than themselves, they've decided to uh, put our civil rights further at risk. And, uh, you know, I, I get that. I understand this. Nobody wants to take the blame for something that is an aberration against humanity, right? Nobody wants to stay there and say to you, well, you know, the reason we didn't save the kids was we were afraid. Nobody wants to say that. But, I mean, when you think back about certain things like, uh, well, let's look at, let's look in uh, Indianapolis. 
Eli Dickens, a civilian, had no duty to run to the gun. As a civilian, he had no duty to do it. No moral duty, no legal duty as a concealed carry permit holder. What does he do? He sees the guy starting. He's in the middle of a food court. No telling what was going through his head because he's never given an interview. Um, he draws his weapon and, and he engages the guy and he deals with the guy. And he stops, stops the rampage killing before it gets into full swing. He did not, and he didn't have on any body armor. He didn't have any cover. He, he didn't have any radios. He didn't have a ballistic shield. He just had his handgun. And he pulled his handgun and he used his handgun. And he saved lives. When he didn't have to. 6,000 times a day, civilians save lives or stop violent crimes. Sometimes they do have to. Sometimes it's, you know, self-defense. Sometimes it's not. But in this, in this era where they have tried to weaponize every little agency against us so they can take complete and total control of us, we need to look at this, and this is them at their best. The reason these guys were in charge of security is because unlike the other, you know, 30% of Texas, they're armed. The schools are armed. This, these guys decided not to. They decided to outsource their security to these guys, and they lost 21 people for their trouble. And that's what you got to remember about when you outsource your security to this kind of thing. I'm headed to get my back cracked and get realigned and lose a little pain and gain a little solace. And in the meantime, I remind you of this. Stay awake. Stay aware. Carry your gun everywhere you can. This has been Gun Owners News Hour. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 